Hello all and welcome to the Humans of Canberra podcast where we look at the amazing and unique people of the city of Canberra one story at a time. Today on our show we are very lucky to have on Kelly Donovan. But before we begin, we would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land we are meeting on, the Ngunnawal and Ngambri people. We pay our respect to elders past, present and emerging. So, we have Kelly Donovan on. First of all, thank you so much for being on our show. It's lovely to have you. Um, so, we're going to jump straight into it. Uh, Kelly is a fashion designer. She's focused on sustainable and environmentally conscious fashion. She is the founder of PurePod, which has gained national success on its model of prioritizing people over profits. She has worked in mainstream fashion, um, and she's one of Canberra's leading business figures. Welcome, Kelly, and thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So jumping straight into it, PurePod has obviously made its mark in sustainable fashion design within Canberra and around Australia. How did the idea of PurePod come about? Um, it's pretty much been a lifelong mission for me because I've always been um, involved in the fashion industry, even from a child, like making clothes and having a um, Scottish um, grandmother that was a tailor as well. And we've got a bit of a history in Scotland in our um, family as well in fashion. So I think it's a bit of a, a family trait. But when I worked in fashion in Melbourne, I noticed there was a big disconnect between the people making the clothes and the impact on the environment. And somehow I wanted to blend the two, but I didn't quite understand when I worked in industry what that meant until I started PurePod, basically, in the mid-2000s. Yep. So going back right to the start, you arguably had a very artistic childhood. You mentioned that your grandmother was a tailor, your father was a filmmaker, and your mother was a painter, and she also so. Um, how did those influences shape not only your childhood, uh, but also the, your work today and why you decided to go into fashion? So why did fashion win out over, say, something like filmmaking? Um, for me, I like I said in the beginning, I think I, it was just in my blood. So I just started creating clothes for like my dolls and Barbie and, you know, things like that. And I suppose having a mum that sewed all the time, she used to make a lot of toys for the local fate for our school and do a lot of fundraising. Um, and my grandma, who was a tailor, so we had that influence. Even though she died when I was quite young, I still had that influence from her and the stories, I suppose, that my mum had told me about the way that she would create clothing and make beautiful tailored ball gowns and dresses and coats and everything for her, for the um, her daughters, but also for the family and for clients and things like that. So I suppose I was always quite interested in that from an early start. And ever since I can remember, I've just loved creating clothes and fashion and textiles and the people that make it and the skills and, you know, from people that create fabrics to grow fabrics to beading to printing. So anything textiles I'm just like drawn to straight away. So it was kind of like a given that I would go towards it. Like I did like um, anthropology and archaeology and things like that, but I also – and graphic design. But textiles and fashion was always my absolute dream to go into – so that's obviously the way that I went. My dad was a filmmaker, so he made things like the Bush Tucker Man. So he worked for um, the Defence Department and he made a lot of um, Australian documentaries about defence. 
so public relations um, movies and he won a lot of awards and their mum, like I said, she sewed and she also um, painted um, and she ran shoe shops. So I also worked in local shoe shops in Canberra as well that were mum's shoe shops. So I was always influenced by art and creation and um, you know, anything that was, you know, a creative kind of life and our parents encouraged us to go to something that we really loved and that's why I kind of stuck with fashion. Yeah. And so you eventually did study fashion at CIT uh, in Canberra from 1988 to 1989. Um, obviously, you mentioned that it was almost a given that you were going to end up doing fashion. Uh, what was that experience like studying fashion, uh, especially in Canberra? Uh, was there something that you were surprised about during those years? Um, yeah, in general, how was that experience? I think it was good because I could stay at home and being, you know, a younger person studying, you didn't have to worry about how you were going to live and feed yourself and everything else and have another job sort of thing. So I was lucky that I was able to study at the CIT and when when I studied it was pretty ama- it was a pretty amazing course. It was very technical and it taught you a lot of skills in all different facets of um, the fashion industry. So it kind of gave you the basics to then go out and then work in the industry and then increase on your knowledge. So we we had a really good experience at the CIT here. Um, it would have been great to also study in Melbourne or Sydney where the fashion industry was because you were a bit isolated studying fashion here because obviously there wasn't much fashion. And I eventually obviously had to leave um, uh, Canberra and go and work in the industry in Melbourne, so, yeah. Do you find that uh, since that time things have changed when it comes to uh, fashion being at the forefront in Sydney and Melbourne but not so much in Canberra? It is still the same but I have a lot of, you know, I've got 30 years of fashion industry knowledge now. Um, So I've kind of come home to my home ground, obviously, um, being back in Canberra um, and taking all of my skills and knowledge back to here as well. Um, I still feel a little bit isolated here because I can't just go to industry and get, you know, advice easily and go and visit textile places and things like that. But a lot of my, I suppose saying that because of the internet and, you know, you can do anything, you can work from anywhere around the globe now. So I have, you know, I source stuff from all over the globe and I have contacts in sustainability all over the world now and I've shown my clothes all over the world too so it doesn't really matter where you are but it would be kind of nice if there was a bigger fashion industry (laughs) in Canberra but there's a lot of appreciation too so. Okay that's good to hear. Um, So after you did study you did go to Melbourne. Um, You trained in fashion, you designed um, everything from children's clothing to menswear, you worked with several companies. Um, Those years so the 90s to 2005 uh, what were some of I guess the things that led up to um, you fi- finding PurePod um, and also any notable experiences in that time frame? Absolutely. So working, like going from here, so going from study, I had a small little menswear label called Mr. Rubin that I used to do here and sell at the Gorman House Markets. And then going from just a small bespoke label to working in big industry, that taught me how to run a fashion, you know, design room and how to do production and taught me a lot of skills plus life skills, obviously living in 
you know, um, a big city on your own without your family and things like that, obviously. Um, but there was definitely some key points because I worked um, as a designer for companies um, that sold to the department stores throughout Australia and New Zealand. And we used to design um, generic clothes, but also licensed product like Disney and Barbie and Warner Brothers and AFL gear and all this other, you know, licensed product stuff. So learning about how they those bigger companies work was great as well. But I also noticed a that's when I started to realise that there was a big um, gap between the people making the clothes, growing the fibres and also the impact on the environment and also the impact on the wearer. So at that point I was doing a lot of children's clothes um, and Barbie and things like that. So there was a lot of plastisol printing, a lot of plastics, a lot of polyester and synthetics and dyes and things like that that were in children's clothing. So I remember um, it was probably, I remember the late 90s thinking there's got to be a different way of doing this, but I really felt like a bit of a fish out of water because there was no conversation about the environmental impact and the social impact of the fashion manufacturing industry and also the waste systems of fashion as well into waterways and landfill and things like that and pollution. So I knew there must be a better way, but I couldn't quite work out what that conversation was for myself as well as for um, a global fashion industry. So I left my job and I had a design business where I do computer art and product design and things like that for all different kinds of companies. And I worked, um, you know, night, you know, from early in the morning till late at night, just doing computer art and just learning more and more and more. But in one of my jobs, I remember seeing a Greenpeace article and they had um, a drawing of a child's body and all the different organs in a child's body and different chemicals that were involved in creating clothing and plastisol printing and polyesters and plastics and all that sort of stuff and which part of the body that that particular chemical affects. And I was just like, okay, (laughs) it's all coming together and it's all coming to light. So that had a massive impact on me. And also just seeing, um, because at that point in the 90s, a lot of stuff was still made in Australia. So there was a large Vietnamese community in Melbourne manufacturing a lot of the clothes then. So a lot of families, you know, their whole family would be running the big factories and things. And I remember the clothes coming into our companies, the quality controllers looking at it and saying, okay, you need to fix this in 24 hours or 48 hours, just an unbelievably unreasonable amount of time where they had to go away. And if they didn't, they wouldn't get paid or they'd get fined or, you know, and the clothing wasn't super expensive. It was children's clothing. So that I found that really difficult to watch as well because it's like, well, you know, where's the respect for these people and, and what they're doing and how they're working and, um, you know, I, I, I did, I was a bit shocked about that. And then obviously the, the environmental impact, which didn't um, probably impact me as much until I started doing my own label and then I started thinking about it more and more. And then the other probably major influence would have been the Rana Plaza factory collapse 
in Bangladesh in 2013. I'd already started my label by then, but at that point it was more about the environmental impact and I felt like if you could create clothing that looked after the environment, that's going to look after the people that are wearing it, growing it, um, manufacturing it. Like if you can have a thoughtful design process throughout your whole manufacturing, that's got to have a better influence on the whole community involved than if you're just churning and burning, you know, fast fashion that ends up in landfill within a couple of wears. So once the the horrific um, situation of the Rana Plaza factory collapsed, the fashion industry stood back and started to actually look at who was making the clothes and where they were being made and what was happening behind the scenes of the glamorous, you know, glossy fashion industry. So obviously a lot of things have changed since then too. So obviously fast fashion, consumerism, uh, they've all risen. Um, Since the accident in 2013, have you seen any widespread positive changes within the industry? Absolutely. Because when I started um, in 2006, so I studied yoga and Pilates um, in the Byron Bay area. So I kind of completely left fashion and I just studied it full time, 24-7 for about eight months. And then I began my label, um, Pure Pod, up there. And um, back then, even in Byron Bay, people didn't understand what I was trying to do. Like I didn't have all the conversation and and the background that, you know, if a, if a young designer wanted to start now, a lot more people would understand sustainable fashion. They would understand... Um, you know, the environmental impact and the circular economy. And there's all these other words that are now um, joined to the fashion industry. Um, so, yeah, things have obviously changed a lot. And, and you know, like I've talked at events, I've run workshops, I've, you know, sold clothes that are environmentally conscious and things like that that I would never have dreamed about doing. So speaking of those workshops, you've run multiple workshops in the past. So, for example, you ran a workshop at the National Portrait Gallery uh, where you guided people to stitch new designs and textiles onto their jeans or to bring a piece of fabric along. Um, What prompted the, I suppose, in a way, a jump from merely designing clothes to education and getting people actively involved? Um, How has that experience been uh, and what made you want to start doing that? I've done that for a long time. Um, I did do a huge event in 2017 at Derry Road called Fashionably Numb where we invited, there was about 65 small um, ethical designers to come and sell their wares, like so it was a little fashion market. It was also a VIP market, a VIP event with a panel. So I have done those education things for a long time. I've done art installations um, where I've had one piece of white clothing that represented every single person that passed away in the Rana Plaza factory collapse. So I've done that quite a few times as well. So I think being a sustainable designer is more than just designing clothes. You've, you're kind of on a bit of a mission and part, you're a pioneer to start to educate the public about what they're buying, who they're buying it from, how it's made, where it's going to go at the end of, you know, the the end of the life cycle of a garment as well. So I think the education part of it has been, you know, part of my 
um, process for a good 15 or more years, really, um, from talking to fashion students, um, talking at events, um, being a part of um, uh, women in business groups and awards and being a part of like ethical fashion parades around the world. So that education part is really important. So even if it was only a small event, eventually what's happening now is the bigger industry is now starting to listen to all of us little designers that were kind of a part of the big movement in the beginning, the pioneering movement, and now the whole industry is starting to change, which is so important. Plus also the public are starting to listen. So have you noticed that within the workshops itself, have there been more people that are interested or more younger people that are interested over time? Um, yes, definitely. Um, over, yeah, over the years I've had all different ages. So sometimes I might have a mum with their daughter, their teenage daughter, um, or some retiree ladies, or often it's females. I've had a few males, but <laughs> often it's been more females, especially if it's like a stitching thing because they're more interested. But I have had guys come along. So I think really um, anyone who's really quite interested in creative arts and textiles and fashion, any age group, I've really had along um, to come. So they could be students, they could be aspiring fashion designers as well. So I think that's pretty important to be able to influence them in a positive way as well. So after uh, working in Melbourne for a while, um, what I suppose, again, prompted the decision to move back to Canberra? Um, is there something about the city that drew you? Was it pure pod, like just pure pod? Um, so what prompted that move? And was there like a light bulb moment where you were like, now I need to pursue this rather than what I'm doing now? Um, no, it was really family that I had to move back. So our daughter was quite young. My partner had been sick and my dad had passed away. So we moved back for family reasons. So it was a good 21 years since I'd been um, away from here. Um, so it was really for family and also to come home to to ground roots, really. Yeah. Did you find yourself uh, missing Canberra over time or did you find that it had changed a lot in those 21 years? Oh, it definitely has changed. It's really nice to see the arts um, community and craft and all that evolve a lot more and the city evolve. It's definitely, you know, because I've always loved Canberra. Um, growing up here, I've always loved it. I've loved the open spaces. I love the bushland. I love to be you know, being able to walk from my house one block and I'm in the bush to go for a walk with my dog or my child or whatever. Um, yeah, I just like Canberra in general, really. I forgot what you said. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, well, within Canberra, what do you – you've mentioned that you love um, the fact that it's so close to the bush, um, going on walks. Do you – have any particular spots that you like to go to, whether it be for like bushwalking or even just food, um, your favourite parts of the city and what you like to do here? I definitely like uh, Farrow Ridge because that's near where we live. Yep. Um, I love walking around the Arboretum at dusk, yes. especially in, you know, daylight savings or early morning. Um, I was teaching yoga um, at the Botanical Gardens in Jindy Spa, Jindy Eco Spa, and that was beautiful because I'd turn up and it would be dark. 
you know, you'd go in, you'd teach yoga and you'd come out and it'd just be birds chirping and the sun would be coming up. So I love the botanical gardens. Um, I love walking all around there and checking out all the native species and the bird life and the the lizards and also the lake because I like riding my bikes. I love the lake area as well. Um, so even though you are first and foremostly a fashion designer, you also are a yoga and Pilates instructor. Um, was that something you aspired from your childhood um, or was that later on in life? And how have you found that as a passion or comp- like in comparison to fashion design? Um, so yoga I found um, because I was sitting at a computer when I had my design business in Melbourne and I just started getting all this pain down my right side and I started doing yoga and it was like a light bulb because it was like, wow, this is amazing because um, I've always, I suppose as a kid, I always played team sports um, and then I did quite a bit of rock climbing. So I found the challenge of rock climbing and and actually I did kayaking as well in Melbourne. So I found the challenge of that um, uh, very like a personal challenge rather than working as a team in a, you know, for netball or softball or whatever you were playing. So I found that once I started doing yoga, it was a similar thing. So it was um, you learnt about your body, you learnt about your nervous system, your breath, like, and it made you feel good, obviously. I was in quite a stressful business because uh, I was working really long deadlines sitting in a computer doing design work. So I found that that was a release, but also the the interaction of you as a human spirit as well. So that's obviously what yoga brings to you and that's why I ended up stopping fashion because fashion's like all about deadlines <laughs> and hard work and all of that, so fast deadlines. So that's why I started doing yoga but being a yoga teacher and teaching, often I've taught women I don't know why, but that's like often maybe more women like to go to yoga. So often when I'm fitting a client or talking to a client, I look at them in quite a different way after I've done a lot of my yoga teaching. So I look at them in the way that they stand and their posture, maybe the way that they breathe, um, just their whole being as a person. So when you're fitting someone and you're creating a garment for that person you're not just looking at them as a 3d shape or body you're looking at them as a whole being and a you know a woman and seeing all their the good side of them to make them a beautiful garment so you mentioned that you had very strict deadlines quick turnovers while you were working in melbourne um did you find yourself dealing with burnout at any stage absolutely <laughs> yeah uh, at what point did you realise yeah. that you were burnt out? Um, oh, well, I was just because I said, you know, I was getting pain down my side. Um, I had come from, you know, a really full-on job. I think I was designing 17 areas for wow. one company wow. and then flying around the world in a week and, you know, getting samples and things like that. So it was a pretty full-on like anyone who works in fashion will tell you that it's like really strict deadlines. So every day I had to come out with something, um, you know, like something creative, you know, the whole the whole time. So and then having my own business, like running your own business is 
Pretty full on. So going from that to studying yoga and studying about the body and studying about your spirit and your nervous system and everything, like biology, the whole side of it, was fantastic because it showed me um, maybe what was more important. It's not just about deadlines but it's about, you know, keeping your health and things like that. But I have been through burnout again since. <laughs> oh, even after, <laughs> yes. like, starting for your and yep. um, being a yoga instructor. Yeah. Wow. And uh, how did you, I suppose, overcome that or recognise? Um, I'm probably in that right now, actually, okay. because COVID as a small business and being in a creative field, yep. I think I pivoted like a million times. I think I was in the paper a couple of times pivoting over the last couple of years because you in and in Canberra too because we like a lot of the the small makers and designers and artists would have been in the same situation as me so because you couldn't sell unless you had track suits online during COVID yeah. <laughs> or a million masks or something <laughs> yeah. there you were completely affected by all of your um your income streams so you were constantly, you know, trying to find a way of getting income in. So I couldn't do markets. I couldn't travel interstate to do designer markets or trade shows. I couldn't do pop-up shops. I couldn't fit my clients. I couldn't teach yoga because everything that I did was a face-to-face way of earning my income. So for two years of high stress... That's why I've kind of pulled back a little bit this year because it was just so I am in burnout <laughs> again. Oh, no. Well, but, hopefully know. it's a way out. Uh, yeah. Uh, so do you find that yoga and Pilates is an avenue for you to overcome burnout or to prevent it from happening frequently? Uh, yeah, I think also um, I love walking through the bush and doing, you know, almost like a mindful meditation through the bush and just wandering and, you know, listening and um, just being calm, walking through the bush is really important as well. But also burnout's not like it's a bad thing, but it also makes you stop and recharge and reconsider which direction that you're going because you can tend to in small business and working in, you know, fashion and design and, you know, any, anyone who's a little maker would be probably similar you can tend to kind of grab at every opportunity and, you know, take on too much. But it's a good way to make you stop and reconsider which is the best way to go forward, you know, for your business and for your health as well. Okay. And was that something that you didn't necessarily expect while you were studying fashion, the very quick turnover rates, the constant deadlines um, to the point where... I think in education you might have this illusion or perception that in a creative industry you have the opportunity to flourish and time is maybe not represented in a way where it translates to the real world or your, like the actual industry itself. Did you find that to be the case? Um, yeah, I don't think you're really prepared, but a lot of industries like that, lots of industries like that, when, what you study compared to when you're on the job can be quite, you know, you have your skill and knowledge like when I talk to students and they're really stressed because they've got a lot to do for their to get through their courses whatever they're studying but then once you get into industry you know that goes tenfold and yeah 
you probably aren't necessarily prepared, but you learn a lot through that and you learn how to manage your time and things like that as well. So there's there's good and bad with it. Yeah. Like it would be great to just sit around and just create all the time. Yeah. But it's also, you know, you have to make a living too. So Yeah, that's true. And well, I think if you compare the way I'm dressed compared to you, obviously, massive difference. <laughs> <laughs> and as an average consumer of fashion who um, wants to make sure what they're buying is environmentally conscious, uh, what are some things to keep a lookout for? Obviously, researching what you're buying is um, paramount. Uh, are there any, like, I suppose, uh, instant red flags when you're buying something that you're like, avoid this or certain, mm. whether it be certain materials, certain manufacturing processes that everyone can start incorporating into their real life? Um, so I think like from an industry point of view, um, you should look at the way things are manufactured. Like I know that like consumers, like even me, like when I go into a shop, you're not going to always know how something is made and where it's made. Um, but I, as a consumer, I would go into a shop um, or online and I would buy something that either is organic fibres, um, is natural fibres. Natural fibres is better than a synthetic fibre because a natural fibre, um, you know, the way that it's grown and made is probably a lot less harmful than a synthetic fibre, the way that that is produced. Um, also a synthetic fibre Sometimes it might last longer, so it might be in, you know, the the cycle um, a lot longer. So say, you know, someone buys it, then they pass it on to a charity or pass it on to a friend or go to a sw- clothes swap or sell it secondhand online or whatever. So it goes around a circle and then eventually ends up into landfill or it might go direct into landfill if that person <laughs> sends it straight to landfill so that synthetic product won't break down or it will take, you know, 20,000 years to break down depending on what it's made from, whereas a natural fibre will eventually break down in a much shorter amount of time. So I think buying products that are made in small quantities, made, say, from local designers, um, either they're natural dyes, um, yeah, they're not, they're not super cheap, like I know it's hard to distinguish something might be a really expensive item but maybe it's not made ethically either. So it is hard for the consumer to check that out. Sometimes designers will have a lot of information on their websites or brands will have a lot of information on their websites about how, how things are made and where they're made and a lot more of the story behind the product. So it's kind of good to sort of stick to your favourite brands and see what they're doing behind the scenes to make sure that they're looking after the people making it. You know, you can go right into it and investigate the whole thing or you can sit back a little bit. So I know it's hard to investigate every single thing that you buy. (laughs) But if a brand is saying that they're doing like a smaller brand, some of the bigger brands are greenwashing a little bit. Some are doing amazing things. Um, If you can sort of sit back and do a little bit of research on the brand even if you, um, like I buy loads of stuff on Facebook Marketplace because it's like really fun. I think it's like a big adventure. It's very addictive. <laughs> so it much. is. It's, it's quite fun. I've yeah. enjoyed going driving around Canberra and yeah. like seeing who owned the garment before me and, you know, because obviously everyone wears garments in different ways. Um, so, yeah, secondhand, 
clothes swaps, um, definitely organic, got certified, um, fibres, natural fibres are the best, maybe hand loom fibres. And the biggest thing is buying what you love, don't overbuy, don't overconsume and be conscious of where your garments are going after you don't want them anymore, what's going to happen to them after that. So you mentioned how the people that design or manufacture are obviously very important to the process and PurePod itself has uh, people working from Bali. You have local makers in Bali. You also have people working in India. Um, how have you found that to influence the, the design or the manufacturing compared to local um, makers and designers? Well, I use a lot of local makers and designers. I was only ever Australian made. Um, we were just very passionate about keeping our product made in Australia, but what we were kind of forced to ma- manufacture in India many years ago because a lot of our makers were retiring. So a lot of the skill um, that was around um, was no longer because those people retired and they took their knowledge with them. So we kind of thought, well, what are we going to do? So we we did go to one place in India and we've worked with them on and off for years. So they pretty much grow the organic cotton 40 kilometres from where they produce it and they have their fully fair trade, got certified. Um, They have um, a lot of... um, uh, the way that they deal with their staff, like they have things like they give them loans for their houses and if they're having a big wedding in the family, they'll give them loans. But the way that they work and live, they're protected by, you know, the, the company that they're working for as well. So I've probably manufactured more in Australia than I have overseas. The Bali manufacturer, I've only made a very small amount of units with him, but we did meet him when we went on a little family holiday many, many years ago to Bali, but he was set up by a um, Byron Bay designer. So she helped him set up so he could produce for her in Bali and he could support the local people around his area to produce. So we've only made a little bit of stuff with him so far. I did make a dress during COVID with him um, to support him and his local makers as well. Um, And then there's another handloom weaver maker that I work with in India and sometimes we'll collaborate on different things but I've only done a small amount with him as well. So, When it comes to the actual design of the clothes from PurePod, what do you try and incorporate into those designs from your personal life? So you've mentioned that you draw inspiration from the Australian bush and how do you try and translate that to the design aspect of it and what other influences do you find yourself drawing from very often? Um, I definitely think about the woman who's going to wear my clothes um, and what they would feel comfortable in. Um, Yeah, I love the Australian bush-like images. Like I've worked with um, Abby French from Basaria Textiles in Braidwood. She's done a few designs um, I've done a few myself and I also used to work a lot with a hand screen printer that was in Byron Bay and Leon. But since we moved from there, I haven't done as much with her. But she used to either I used to be able to use her designs in her studio or we'd come up with a design or I'd draw a design and she would use it. So a lot of them were always um, 
organic influenced images. So whether it was, you know, plants or um, seed pods or birds or nature that would be printed onto the garments as well. Um, when it comes to the actual garments, I pretty much, yeah, I really think about the woman who's going to wear it, how she's going to wear it, maybe what her lifestyle is. Like often we'll sell to women that um, are maybe in their 30s up to, you know, up to 80s really. Like it really depends. I've had sometimes three generations of women come into my studio that were family so the daughter, the mum and the grandma and I've fitted wow. all of them. So I try to make the clothing not necessarily the latest trends um, as much as people love all that but I don't know really whether every single woman can wear the latest trends. Like it's not really realistic. It's the fashion industry trying to create more sales with the next trend. So, you know, I would much prefer that a um, woman comes in and purchases something or we make them something that they can wear for a long time. Do so. you find that with the, um, since PurePod isn't focusing on, like I suppose, manufacturing new designs constantly, do you find that the longer time span allows for more creativity in those designs? Um, do you find yourself um, altering designs more often um when you might have not had that chance working in Melbourne when you had strict deadlines constantly. So do you find that that leads to, uh, I suppose, a better output or higher quality work? Yeah, so I work um, often with a tailor. So when I'm making one-off things here, I work with um, a tailor, a male tailor, which is kind of nice to work with a a man in my industry because mostly it's women in our industry. Um, Yeah, so if we're making... um, one-off pieces, I can change them slightly to suit that woman's body. Like we don't do dressmaking, but I can slightly alter something so then that woman obviously will be much happier with her purchase. Um, yeah, I don't do like once upon – yeah, when I said I used to design 17 areas, I was just a machine just yep. churning out new designs. So I don't have to do that. Yep. I can pretty much say I know that this dress sells really well and I know that this dress suits like a size 6 through to a size 20 or something like that. Like there's certain styles that suit different body shapes. So often I'll have women come into my studio and say, you can't fit me. And I say, yes, I can. <laughs> <laughs> so you can pretty much really make something for any body, which I don't think women get that opportunity to have something made especially for them. Um, I'm not doing as much of that this year because I, I used to do a lot of that kind of work. Um, I used to do more like a couple of ranges a year and just get the best of the best from each of our ranges and sometimes remake those again and then those ones. Like I have a dress that I've made for more than 10 years. Wow. And every time I bring it out and remake it, it sells because it suits lots of women and it covers all the areas that they want to cover and it flatters the other areas that they want to hide or whatever it is that, you know, like it suits lots of different body shapes. So in terms of the future, um, what do you think is the direction, 
at which sustainable fashion is headed, not only in Canberra, but around the world? Uh, do you feel like it's going to grow? Is it going to morph into something else? And where, how do you see the fashion industry as a whole evolving? It's definitely changing. So the conversation's definitely changing, which is fantastic. So a lot of big industry is really stepping back and looking at every single part of their um, production, looking at climate change, looking at waste, looking at, um, you know, what's happening with the end cycle of the problem with textiles, even down to looking at, um, you know, like Australia and other countries send their old clothes to countries that do not need it anymore. So looking at waste systems for things like that. So the circular economy obviously is a massive um, part of the fashion industry now. So there's um, textile waste companies and they're still in their infancy but they've got lots of amazing innovation um, of all the different kinds of things that they're doing. So a lot of textile waste can go to be shredded into... Um, going to mattresses or into carpet underlays or um, it can go into there's one company making it into tiles with oh. with leftover plastic so they're blending them together. Um, there's other other companies that are shredding down. It can only be like one fibre. They're, they're shredding it down and remaking it into a yarn and then re producing it into another fabric. So that's a massive growth area, which is so amazing. So I can basically make a garment in a recycled textile and then it can, you know, I can digitally print on it or whatever and then it can go, um, we can then re-get it, you know, back from our consumers and then it can go back into getting shredded down and then turn back into a fabric again and it can keep going so you're reducing you know natural resources being used too much water being used um transport like anything that's involved with producing a garment and you're also reducing the amount of waste that's happening at the other end into landfills because obviously you know that's affecting communities that's affecting water that's affecting land that's affecting you know, council waste problems, government waste problems and, you know, the cost of that, dealing with that waste is enormous as well. So, you know, that's a really exciting innovation area for me, the circular economy. So when it does come to supporting Australian designers, um, how do you see that changing in light of recent events and um, how is the industry itself going to change in the future? Um, I definitely think... Particularly over COVID, it really started impacting um, female industries because a lot of, I suppose, a lot of women, nothing against the men, but a lot of women may have been at home with kids over COVID. Um, they may have been the people that had the casual or part-time jobs or whatever, and they could be home with the kids. So I think a lot of women's incomes um, and especially women in arts and creative fields really got affected, like music industry, um, you know, theatre, anything that was in the arts and female incomes really got affected by COVID, like I know for myself it did, definitely. Um, so 
over that time, I think there's been more conversations about supporting female industries and fashion is obviously a massive female industry. Like in the, in the Australian fashion industry, 70% of the people working in it are females. So they might be in part-time, casual, um, or they might be in full-time jobs from, you know, retail to manufacturing to designers to pattern makers to whatever. But a lot of those women, I would, you know, the ones that I know, you've kind of juggled your work around bringing up kids. So you might be a pattern maker, freelance pattern maker, and you're juggling, you know, primary school age kids or babies or teenagers or whatever. So I think if there's more of a push towards supporting female industries, that would help. So whether we have um, maybe apprenticeships coming in that support female industries, because we've got a massive gap of we're losing our skill in in the fashion industry. So if we can start to support, it can be male as well, support people coming back into our industry. So if they're paid better, if they have like an apprenticeship that they can learn how to be a tailor or learn how to be a cutter or production manager or, you know, um, machinist or whatever it is, that there's more sort of push towards that. Because, say, for in during the COVID period, so 2020 and 2021, the Australian fashion industry contributed more than $27.2 billion to the national economy. Wow. So that was in a tough time so you can imagine how much more it contributed in in boom times so our industry supports industry exports were around 7.2 billion in 2021 so our industry is a lot bigger than what people realize but obviously a lot of that is female workers so um, the industry generates more than 489,000 jobs across its broad spectrum um, throughout you know, the whole industry from retail through to manufacturing through to, um, you know, social media um, people as well. So do you feel like apprenticeships, education programs and better funding, uh, do you think those would be the biggest solutions? Yeah, I think that we really need to look at um, what's happening for female wages um, and industries that predominantly deal with female wages. So obviously, you know, women... If they've got young children, um, not always, sometimes the men do it, but sometimes if predominantly it's the women who, you know, drop off their careers a little bit because they're looking after young children, especially if, like, they're breastfeeding babies or whatever, like, they have to be home to look after kids really until they're in high school. You know, a lot of women will cut back on their hours because they're the, the main support workers for kids. So obviously their incomes are being affected, their superannuation is being affected, their advancement in their careers are being affected. So if we can um, start to steer our industry towards supporting that a lot more, so whether it's, you know, from apprenticeships, so you're getting, you know, a better wage or whatever it is to support um those women, they're going to be in the industry for longer and the skill is going to last longer and it's going to support our industry better. Okay. Yep. Hopefully that's what I want. Yep. And so you mentioned that throughout your years you've seen a resurgence in the uh, art scene in Canberra. Um, how do you think that the fashion 
industry, specifically in Canberra, especially in relation to local designers and local manufacturers? How do you think that's going to evolve? And do you have any recommendations for us to check out other than Pupod as well, obviously? I would love to have it evolve even more um, than where it's at now. Like I think COVID, um, a lot of the little designers like myself really got affected by um, like a lot of anyone who was making in the arts and the craft and stuff. So fashion kind of is on a side thing. It's not really necessarily seen as um, in the arts world, but that's really what we are. We're artists, but we make 3D textile objects for people to put on their bodies, but it's a different kind of art. But we are still artists and we still live that kind of lifestyle as well we're creating and we're producing um, things. So I'd love a lot more um, interest to be involved um, from local government, from the arts industries to the public, to businesses, to get a lot more involved with the local fashion designers in Canberra. Um, So there's people like Karen Lee and there's Alice Sutton from Edition um, there's Vicky from Rockstars and Royalty. They're doing amazing things. And there's a lot of, you know, newer designers coming through as well that are coming out of the CIT or they might have moved here or they might be just creating because that's what they want to do and they haven't studied it and they might have started a label. So I think um, at one stage there was a great market called Hustle and Scout and it was also with the forage and that was fantastic because that was really promoting... Um, Canberra Fashion and Designers and Fashfest was also helping promote Canberra designers as well. But I think, yeah, we're kind of a bit murky now, so I'd like a lot more um, help along the way with that from the Canberra public and, um, you know, other retailers and things like that. That would be good, yeah. So an actual final question now. Um, you, Kelly Donovan, as a person... Um, beyond fashion design and yogas and Pilates, what do you do to unwind? Um, I love lying on my banana chair in the backyard (laughs) (laughs) with my daughter reading a book or uh, going for a ride. I love bike riding. I probably haven't done as much as that as I used to. Um, With, like, my family, I love just going for a bike ride, walking my dog. I just love because Canberra is so clean and green. It's such a beautiful place to, you know, go and walk your dog and, you know, they have like little doggy meetings. And um, I think just being in nature, like my favourite thing is being out in nature or being able to, um, you know, do a bit of painting or drawing or something sort of creative. But, yeah, nature's my favourite yeah. out of everything. Right. Um, it's been Truly amazing to get to know your life story, you as a person, more about sustainable fashion design in Canberra and around the world. Uh, thank you so much for taking your time out of the day to have a chat with us. Um, everyone should check out PurePod and Kelly's work online. I've been your host, Zare, and we'll hope to see you next time.